I grew up in a family that values thank you notes. From the time I was barely old enough to write for myself, I learned from my parents that a handwritten note was an important way of showing gratitude when you receive something. On the day after Christmas, my sister and I sat down at the kitchen table, or the dining room table, or the coffee table in the living room, and wrote notes to our grandparents, our aunts and uncles, and others who had given us gifts for Christmas. At first, my mom and dad were there with us, helping, helping us figure out what to say, spelling words when we requested help, and guiding us through the process of folding a letter, sealing the envelope, and addressing it. As we got older, we took over more and more of the process ourselves. What we didn't know is that our Nana, our mom's mother, kept nearly every single note we wrote. A few years before she died in 2012, she presented each of her four grandchildren with a scrapbook filled with the letters and notes we had sent her. As we read through them, we discovered some gems. When I was in late elementary school and just learning to ride horses, I thanked her for $5 and declared that I was saving it to buy myself a horse. My sister won the prize for honesty with a note written when she was about eight or nine. Dear Nana, thank you for my Christmas gifts. I don't remember what you gave me, but I'm sure I liked it. <laughs> my sister and I didn't always love the process of writing thank you notes, and in fact found as many ways as possible to delay it. But today, as I look at the scrapbook my Nana made and realize what a valuable lesson I learned from my parents, I, I realize what a valuable lesson I learned from my parents, a lesson about the importance of expressing gratitude that has stayed with me. The theme of gratitude is one of the important ideas that comes out of the story that Flo just read for us about Jesus healing 10 men with leprosy. This story appears only in Luke's Gospel, in a section known as the Travel Narrative that is inserted between the stories of Jesus' ministry in Galilee and his arrest and crucifixion in Jerusalem. At the beginning of the passage, Jesus was traveling from Samaria to Galilee. I've talked in previous sermons about, about Samaria and Samaritans and their relationships to the Jewish people in Jesus' time. Samaria and Judah were separate nations with different cultures. Jews hated Samarians and vice versa. The Jews built their temple in Jerusalem. The Samaritans built a separate temple at Mount Gerizim that the Jews regarded as pagan. This hatred went back centuries. And by the time of Jesus, Jews would skirt around the edge of Samaria and cross the Jordan River on a longer path to Jerusalem just to avoid being in close proximity with Samaritans. And this may have been the path that Jesus was following as this story began. So as he entered a village, Jesus encountered a group of men with leprosy. At that time, leprosy was a painful, very visible disease, and it was chronic and incurable. Jews believed that leprosy was a punishment from God for people who committed the most heinous of sins. The book of Leviticus in the Old Testament contains specific rules for how people with leprosy must live their lives. Wearing torn clothes, allowing the hair on their upper lip to become disheveled. 
They were considered ritually unclean as long as they had the disease. And since this was an incurable disease in ancient times, they were considered unclean for life. They were not allowed to live or interact with others in the community, or those people would become unclean as well. When they encountered someone, they were required to shout out, unclean, unclean, to warn the others away from them. People with leprosy were social outcasts. They tended to band together and form communities because their own people would not accept them. They tended to live just outside cities and villages, <clears throat> far enough away from others, and yet close enough for, to beg for money and food to keep themselves alive. <clears throat> it was a grim existence, almost a living death, that could not be escaped. And then one day, a young rabbi named Jesus walked by. A group of people with leprosy would have stayed especially far away from a Jewish rabbi like Jesus for fear of making him unclean so that he could no longer enter the temple. And so this group called out to Jesus from a distance, asking Jesus to have mercy on them. It's unclear what they were actually expecting from Jesus. They may have simply been begging for money, or they may have heard tales of this rabbi named Jesus who performed healing miracles and were asking him to cure their leprosy. And by calling out for mercy, they were also acknowledging that they had no right to be healed. This Jesus owed them nothing and healing was not guaranteed. And they were probably perplexed by Jesus's answer. Jesus told them to go and show themselves to the priests in the temple, who were the only ones with the authority to certify that they had been healed. Jesus didn't demand that they do something to demonstrate their faith. He instructed them to act as if they had already been healed and go to the priests to have that healing certified. The men may have been perplexed, but they followed Jesus' instructions. And as they were doing so, they discovered that they had, in fact, been cured and were no longer ritually unclean. Can you imagine how these men must have felt at that moment when they looked down and discovered that their bodies were no longer decaying and realized that they were no longer in pain? We have no information about how long they had been suffering from leprosy, but it may have been many years. And suddenly, they were cured able to return to their families and livelihoods, able to rejoin life in the society that had shunned them for so long. Joy, amazement, excitement. At this point in the story, we see a contrast. Nine of the men rushed on to the temple. I imagine them running as fast as they could, eager to see the priests so they could start their new lives free of this disease. But one of the men stopped in his tracks, turned around, and returned to Jesus. He praised God loudly for his miraculous healing. And when he arrived where Jesus was, he threw himself on the ground at Jesus' feet and thanked him profusely. And the man who returned to praise God and thank Jesus was a Samaritan in a group where the rest were presumably Jews. This part of the story is sometimes misinterpreted as meaning that only the Samaritan deserved to be healed. 
because the nine Jewish men didn't really feel grateful. We don't know that that's actually true. It's possible that the nine were so overwhelmed at excitement of being healed that they didn't think about stopping to show gratitude in the moment. It's also possible that the nine were simply following the instructions they were given to go show themselves to the priests. The nine were not bad people, but they did miss an opportunity to show gratitude for God's grace. And yet the Samaritan, the foreigner, the outsider to the Jewish community came back. The one who was most different from Jesus was the one who saw clearly what Jesus had done for him, how Jesus had changed his whole life going forward, and took the time to stop and express gratitude. And Jesus responded by telling the Samaritan to get up and go on his way because his faith had made him well and returned him to wholeness. There are some powerful themes throughout this story. The act of seeing is crucial. Jesus saw the ten men with leprosy, not just in the sense that he looked up and there they were, but in the sense of recognizing their need. I wonder what we see in the world around us and where we miss seeing needs that we could respond to. Most of my days are spent on the University of Georgia campus, where I have plenty of time to observe people. I've been struck recently by the ways that people move around campus without seeing each other. Sometimes this happens literally. More than once this semester, I've watched as students step out into the street in front of a car, or a person on a motorized scooter almost plows down a group on the sidewalk, or a driver who doesn't see people in the crosswalk fails to stop. But even when things are less dangerous, and luckily I haven't observed anybody actually get injured, I notice that people really don't see each other. Most students and professors and parents and visitors to campus walk around looking at their phones, wearing earbuds so they can listen to music, I've said hello to students I know multiple times, including some students I work with very closely, and they haven't responded because they simply don't see me. And I'm sure I'm not alone in this experience. We spend time wrapped up in our own world, not really seeing the people around us. What would happen if we looked up, looked around, and really noticed what was going on around us? What would we see? And more importantly, what would we do in response? A few years ago, I tripped and fell on the UGA campus. It was a silly accident. The wheel of my rolling cart got caught on a grade I didn't see, and it stopped while I kept going. I was knocked off balance and fell hard, banging up my right leg. And what I remember most was the kind responses of people around me who saw me fall. The three or four students who came rush, running to check on me, the ones who helped me up and walked me over to a nearby bench, the one who collected the belongings I dropped. And I'm especially grateful for the person who insisted on walking with me all the way back to my car about three blocks away and making sure I got into it safely and felt confident enough to drive. None of these were people I knew and I didn't think to ask their names in the moment. But I'm still so incredibly grateful 
that they took time to help me in a painful and embarrassing and disorienting moment. I was lucky. I didn't break anything, and my bruised leg and foot healed up. And more importantly, I was seen. Others noticed me and stepped in quickly to help me out, just as Jesus noticed and healed the ten men with leprosy. It's an important lesson for all of us. As we seek to live out our faith, one of the first steps is to stop and notice the world around us. And there's another important lesson in this, in this story of healing, a lesson of gratitude as an expression of faith. If you read the lectionary scriptures in the egram each week, you may realize this story is not actually part of today's lectionary. There's a special set of lectionary scriptures to celebrate Canadian Thanksgiving, which took place this past Monday. And this story of healing is one of them. The story is appropriate for a celebration of Thanksgiving. After all, the Samaritan who was healed came back to praise God and threw himself at the feet of Jesus because he was so overwhelmed with gratitude. This man had no presumption that he deserved healing. He didn't look at Jesus and say, of course he'll heal me. And when he recognized God's grace, he could not help but express gratitude. And it's that kind of gratitude to God that we should all try to emulate. Not the polite, thank you very much for the gift, I know I'll enjoy it kind of gratitude, but the exuberant, prostrate myself on the ground gratitude that overflows and must be expressed. God has done amazing things in each and every one of our lives. Yet sometimes we get distracted by the day-to-day -day happenings of life and forget to recognize God's grace as it comes. Our challenge this week, as individuals and as a community of faith, is to pay attention, to notice God's awesome and amazing grace in our lives and in the world around us. For as American theologian Frederick Buechner reminds us, grace is something you can never get, but can only be given. There's no way to earn it, or deserve it, or bring it about any more than you can deserve the taste of raspberries and cream, or earn good looks, or bring about your own birth. Let us go out into the world today, noticing God's grace as we see it, and let us take time to share our thanks and gratitude with God. And like the Samaritan, may our faith make us well and whole. Amen.